No, that's fine. That's good. Those are good questions. Hello, everybody. Good afternoon. Thank you for staying around. Um, again, thank you for uh, our our Pathways Committee that has put together the refreshments and everything. And from the the way I saw everybody huddling around the table, they must have been good. Um, thank you again for being here. Just this is just a reminder for you and for. Anybody who is uh, watching this at a, at a later date, we did uh, change. We did have to move our church conference time. Just just this weekend, we found out that we would not be able to have our church conference vote in October um, because of circumstances beyond our control. And so we, we moved it so that we didn't have to wait until November. We moved it back to September. The church conference vote will be Tuesday, September 27th at 6 o'clock p.m. All right, you'll be getting a letter about that if you're a member of the church. I just had a good question about um, how can you be a member but not a full member, and that's a very good question. It's, it's not that confusing, though. It's not that complicated. If you were baptized here as a baby, but you were not old enough to be confirmed as a full member of the church, then you're kind of somewhere in between. You're what's called a probationary member. or a, If you are um, coming with your spouse, and your spouse is a member of the church, but you, you come all the time, but you never fully join the church and you're a constituent member but you never really fully join the church yourself if you've been coming here uh but your membership is at east gadsden methodist church or something like that um and east gadsden methodist church doesn't exist anymore but you never officially join this church then you need to officially join this church to be full members Does that make sense so everybody that has joined the church doesn't need to call susan swan and ring her phone off the hook just to make sure that you're a full member this is for anybody who who had been meaning to join but hadn't joined because only only full members who are present at the time of the vote can vote uh, again that's in the book of discipline and it's not something that we're just making up to try to be difficult the speakers that we're going to speak on uh, the 2nd of October, which would uh, Reverend Harvey Beck and Reverend Kevin Thomas, are going to move back and speak that Monday before our church vote, which would be Monday the 26th of October at 6 o'clock p.m. September. Anyway, uh, what would I do without Sheila? I don't even want to think about it. So September 26th, Monday, 6 o'clock, will be Harvey and Kevin. Okay, it'll be the same kind of format except 6 o'clock p.m. since it's on a Monday night. And then Tuesday night, the very next Tuesday night, the 27th of September at 6 o'clock p.m., voting tables will be set up in Chestnut Lobby. You'll come in just like you would at your voting poll. You'll go to the table which will be staffed by our Pathways team and our staff, church staff, and you'll sign in, you'll get a ballot, circle the ballot, voting box will be right here. You put your vote in the box and come and take your seat. Uh, 6 to 6.30, the balloting is open, 6.30. We have to, we're not trying to, again, not trying to be difficult. We gotta close the ballot at some point in order to be able to count the ballots. 6.30, we're gonna close on the ballots. Uh, Pathways team's gonna, uh, count and recount and recount the ballots and certify them while we are in here. We'll have music for a little while. Our district superintendent, Jeff Davis, will uh, bring a message. And then by the time we get through with all of that, our Pathways Committee will have a final total for us and we will announce it before you go home. If you need, if you had something else that you had to do that night and you needed to come by and just vote and then 
go on and then hear about it later, uh, then we are go we will you know post the results on our church website so you can do it that way. You just can't mail in a vote or you just can't like send someone to proxy vote. It just doesn't work like that. Okay. I didn't mean to get into all that, but all of that needs to be said, and, and we need to start thinking in that way so that we can tell each other how it's going to be. If you have a question about any of this process, members of the Pathways team or members of our church staff can tell you um, and maybe answer your questions. We'll try to. Our second speaker for the afternoon is Reverend Eddie Gooch, who's a pastor at uh, Hoax Bluff, and many of you know him. He's been around for a while. Eddie, did you grow up in this area? In the Florence area? Okay. That, I, I know that now because I met your mama over there somewhere. I sure did. Yep. I met his mama and them. So, uh, but Eddie's been at Hoax Bluff for a while, and many of you have met Eddie, and some of you may have heard him speak at, at Rainbow City or other places. And Eddie, I'll let you tell about yourself as you come and share with us. Thank you. Before I'd like to share with you, I realize that today is a very heavy day for our nation. It's a remembrance of what happened 21 years ago. I'd like to begin praying for our nation, if you'll bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, the day, Lord, you have made. And the reminder to us, Lord, of where we were on this day 21 years ago. A day, Father, that all of us will never forget. We pray your grace this day for families that are still hurting and grieving. We pray your blessed holy word, Psalm 91, on behalf of all of those in our armed forces who are protecting and serving around the world and, and here at home. We lift up our commander-in-chief, our president. We lift up all of those in positions of authority over us. And we thank you, Father, for the privilege and grace that we have of living in this great nation. And we pray, Lord, your grace to us, that we will continue to seek your help and your will for every decision that we make, both big and small. We love you and we bless your holy name through your only begotten son, Jesus, to the presence and power of your Holy Spirit, Father, for your glory. In your holy name, Lord, we pray. Amen. It's very good to be here with y'all today. Um, he asked me to share a little bit about myself. Most important thing I'd like for y'all to know is I gave my life to Jesus back in 1986. And I've had an incredible journey with the Lord and it has been so precious. It's so good to be with God's folks and to realize that when we've been there 10,000 years, We'll all be there together praising Jesus around the throne of grace and mercy. The Lord called me to preach specifically in the United Methodist Church back in 1988. And I had the blessing of uh, worshiping there at the Green Hill United Methodist Church. Tom Moy was my pastor. And he loved Jesus with all of his heart. And when I told him that God was calling me to preach, I didn't know what to do next. And he was a very special pastor in my life. He has since retired. He loves the Lord. And... I'm just so thankful to get to be a pastor. What an incredible blessing and privilege, most of all, to, to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing about me. The second most important is my precious wife has loved me now for 34 years, and she's an incredible blessing. I've laughed and told folks that I think in the presence of Jesus, the pastor's wife gets an extra crown, Sam. I honestly believe that. We have four children, two that are older and married and two that are younger, and I'm now officially this year a grandfather. Now they're going to call me Papa. And that's just such a wonderful journey as well. I have uh, had the privilege of serving in our conference now for over 30 years here in uh, North Alabama. Had the blessing and opportunity of going to Asbury Seminary where one of your former pastors, Harvey Beck, got to go to seminary. In fact, that's where I met Brother Harvey Beck. We were eating some Korean food one day. And, and I have loved Harvey ever since, a dear brother in Christ. 
and had the privilege after graduating from Asbury coming back to our conference. I've been at Hoax Bluff now for five years. And for the purposes that Sam has asked me to come here today, uh, our church at Hoax Bluff this past July the 31st, we officially voted to withdraw from the United Methodist denomination. Our vote at that time was 99 to 3. We had a called church conference with our superintendent, Jeff Davis. And after he finished the part of the conference, I then stood and asked uh, about where we would like to go going forward. And the church at that point voted 80 to 4 to officially uh, unite with the Global Methodist Church. We have also already paid our disaffiliation fee and the cost for us to withdraw was $134,956 and we have paid that in full. So myself and our church on December the 10th, we will be at the, spot, the special called annual conference. Don't know where that will be yet as part of that disaffiliation process. I think all of you have a handout. Before I get into that, I would like to begin with something you probably didn't think you would hear at a disaffiliation time, at a discernment time. I'd like to begin with Jerry Clower. I don't know how familiar you are with that uh, Southern Christian comedian, Jerry Clower. He's now at home in the presence of Jesus, and he had a way of making people laugh. He also was privileged to share with a lot of Christian groups and churches. He had a heart for the Lord, and he just had a heart for communicating. And what I'd like to share with y'all to kind of get into our time together is what he's calling his coon hunting story. You can Google this on YouTube and listen to it much better for the seven minutes and 41 seconds than he tells. But I'd like to paraphrase his coon hunting story as kind of a jumping in place for me being with you today. Jerry Clower said when he grew up, there was really only two things they could do for entertainment. They went to revival services and they went hunting, hunting coons. And uh, a certain time when their work was called up and he goes into a lot of discussion about what they did to catch up on their work, he and his brother and a neighbor were ready to go coon hunting. And so they began that journey of going coon hunting, this particular uh, episode that he shares. And I remember as a little boy that my granddaddy used to go coon hunting. I never got to go with him. I always stayed with my grandmother, but I always wondered, why would you go and spend all night staying awake and letting these dogs chase this poor little animal? And Jerry Clower kind of tells that in his story. And he said, while they're out coon hunting, they run into a man whose land they were on named Mr. Barron and another gentleman whose name was John. And so Mr. Barron said, what are you doing, Jerry? And he said, we're coon hunting. And Mr. Barron said, well, I think we'll join you in the hunt. And the man, John, was an expert tree climber in the coon hunting story. And he also believed you should always give the coon a fighting chance, which meant that John knew how to climb these trees. He climbed to the top of the tree and he would take a real sharp stick and he would knock the coon out of the tree. He said at least that way you could give the coon a fighting chance when he falls down among the dogs. So in this particular story that Jerry Clower tells, they, they tree this coon. And Jerry Clower said, oh, he was a big one. And the dogs are surrounding the tree, and uh, Jerry says to John, well, I think you need to climb that tree. And John climbed the tree, pulled off his shoes and his gloves, and he started climbing. He got to the very top where the coon was, or so he thought, because at the top where the coon was, it was not a coon, it was a lynx. He discovered that lynx after he, he poked that thing with a stick. And he starts hollering, oh, oh, and Jerry says, knock him down, John, knock him out. He says, oh, oh, this thing is killing me. And Jerry says, what? And, and, and John finally says, shoot up here, shoot up here. And Mr. Barron says, I'm not going to shoot up there. If I shoot up there, I'm going to hit you, John. John says, oh, shoot up here. This thing is killing me. And finally he says, shoot up here. One of us got to have some relief. One of us got to have some relief. I kind of tell that as, as a way of getting us into this thinking. We have two groups, really three, but, but two particularly, and, and the groups really need some relief. That brings us to where we are. Uh, on pages one and two of your handout, which I think that uh, Pastor D. Dowdy might have shared with you, 
pages one and two are a history of the Methodist denomination and actually goes back to the birth of the church in AD 33. One thing that, that really stands out about our denomination is separating is not unique to us. We have actually separated since John Wesley was called by God, who, by the way, he never left the Anglican church, but the Methodist church has gone through a, a number of separations. And it's really interesting when you study the roots of Methodism, it, it really gave birth to a, a number of churches and Christians in the charismatic and the Pentecostal movement. At the roots of Methodism, a lot of churches claim John and Charles Wesley. Charles, who wrote over 6,000 of our hymns, uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's always a blessing at Christmas to hear that on a rock and roll station and John's preaching. And I think in some ways, Charles' singing made a bigger impact than John's preaching because we remember the songs a lot of times better than we do the sermons. Nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of the way the brain processes information. Pages three and four of your handout are some very notable, interesting events which have accelerated to the place where we are. Going back to the year 1908, when the Methodist Conference uh, decided that the uh, bishops could not fire uh, seminary professors. I'd like to spend the majority of my time with you on pages five and six and finish up on page seven. So if you have your handout, if you'll turn to page five. This is what I'm calling to borrow the scripture from Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? I know that all of you know this. We are a connectional church. A lot of folks outside of Methodism and the Anglican Episcopal way of Christianity don't understand that. A lot of people in our area understand the Southern Baptist Convention, the autonomy of a local church. We, we are much different. As we often will, will tell somebody, we, we're sent and we'll stay a number of years and, and then we'll leave. And, and that, that system is going to continue even in the global Methodist church and also in the United Methodist church. And that's really a system that has worked very well, especially in the days of the circuit riders when the frontier was moving west and the circuit riders were actually there on the cutting edge and every good circuit rider had a Bible and a Methodist hymnal and a rifle in one sermon. And that sermon was, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. But we are a connectional denomination. And, and what that means now is that we have the same name, United Methodist, from the merger in 1968 of the Evangelical United Brethren. And we have the same symbol, cross and flame. What's interesting about the symbol, it carries uh, a lot of weight in Africa. The African United Methodist Church has said, we want to retain that symbol no matter what happens at General Conference 2024. That symbol has opened up a lot of doors from our brothers and sisters in Christ over in that continent. And that's a great blessing. The symbol does not mean as much in the United States because really the allegiance that a lot of people once had to denominations has really changed over the years. There's a lot of studies out there on that. But we share the same name and the same symbol. We also have the same book of discipline. I think the latest edition of that is 2019, where we are organized and we have our polity. And once every four years, except for COVID, we made it a general conference. And also, we have a financial stewardship system called apportionments that affect every local church and every district and every annual conference and here in the United States and literally around the world. And it's really good when you pull your resources Kind of like we do sometimes at home when you pull your money together to see if there's enough money to go to the movie or buy pizza or things. Y'all understand that with stewardship issues. So having said that, there are 10 questions that I want to ask you. And I thank the Lord because my presentation has kind of changed since speaking at Rainbow City. Because in praying and getting ready for today... I really felt led by the Holy Spirit to ask you 10 questions because neither I nor Sam are called to tell you how to vote. Sam and I are called to help inform you 
so that prayerfully you can make your own decision about this. And I really felt led by Jesus, the best way for me to share is by asking you a number of questions and having some personal comments on that. Uh, the first question is this. How do I personally define the word connection? A couple of examples. First of all, there's an interesting connection at my house, depending on whether you say Roll Tide or War Eagle. Interesting day yesterday with Alabama winning by one point and Auburn winning by a few extra. You see, there's a connection depending on your favorite football team. A few years ago, we were watching, I think it was when Cam Newton played on Auburn's team, and my father-in-law was actually pulling for the, the tide that day, and Cam Newton messed up Nick Saban's plans, and Auburn won. And I got so excited that my father-in-law literally left the room just because of who I was cheering for that day. So how do you find, define connection? My other example is... Uh, something called AARP. And I bet you never thought you'd hear about AARP at, at, at a time of prayer about what you need to do. But this is kind of humorous because a few years ago at our house, we started getting mail from AARP. It's a wonderful organization. If you belong to that, that's really a blessing. I, I pulled that out of the mailbox, began to look at that, and I said, whoa, this is one of the benefits of getting old, or older rather, and surviving your children growing up. There's some benefits to this. A lot, a lot of discounts in AARP. And so I asked my wife, I said, what do you think about us joining? And y'all know the two rules with women in our society. You never ask them their, their weight or their age. And she looked at me, she said, you throw that away right now. And don't you ever bring that to my attention again, which I did. What was funny was the day when she received her own personal invitation to AARP. And she threw that away. Now, ladies, please forgive us, but one of the things us husbands do best is we have the spiritual gift of agitation. And another letter came later, and I opened it up, and I just couldn't resist. I said, sweetie, look, they got a two-for-one special. Buy one, get one free. She said, you throw that away right now. But you see, if you decide to be part of AARP, it's a great connection. So again, how, how would you personally define that word connection? Secondly, uh, do I agree with our bishop, and I love our bishop, I think she is perhaps the best bishop that I have had in my 30 years as a pastor. She's been extremely fair to wherever we fall in this discussion. She actually came to the last church where I served when we baptized our two youngest children. Precious, precious, dear sister in Christ. But my question is, number two, do I agree with our bishop that our goal going forward is to be one annual conference representing the three groups within our denomination? And those three groups are the traditionalist, where I fall, the centrist, and the progressives. I lovingly and very respectfully disagree with the decision that she's made, but I respect her in making that decision. She's decided, and she has sent us information about this, that she feels led for us to be one conference representing these three particular groups, even after the time comes that she will retire. There is one personal reflection from me that I have in response to that. This, this vision, this goal that she has, really is what we've had for the last 30 years. And in my opinion, where we are now as part of that vision going forward, I personally do not see it working. There are pastors in our conference that I do disagree with. Now, we don't hate one another. We just realize that we're different. And so we don't see the, the same way alike. And again, it goes back to the scripture, Amos 3.3, 3, or as President Lincoln shared, a house divided cannot stand third question do I agree with Jesus's definition of marriage and, and really that culminates in Matthew 19 1 through 12 or do I believe that our culture and denomination can redefine the definition of marriage my personal thought on that is this I was there the day in 2015 watching the television when the Supreme Court issued its decision redefining marriage. 
And I was troubled by their decision. Here's my reason why. The only one that can define marriage is the one who's given it to us. The only one. He is the one that's given us marriage as male and female. He's the one that has set the parameters going back to Genesis. And again, Jesus reiterated that in Matthew 19, 1 through 12. My second question in number three is, and I have asked this question of a person that identifies as homosexual. She was a, a teenager in the youth camp where I worked. She reached out to me and shared that she had made this decision. I told her I loved her. I would always be her pastor. But I had one question for this dear girl. And it was a question when I asked her. She cut off communication with me. I never closed the door to her. My question was, would you please give me just one verse from God's word where God supports same-sex unions? If you give me one verse, I will prayerfully reconsider where I am on this issue. Number four, do I believe that General Conference this year should have been postponed until 2024? And someone reminded me last week, last week they would have had General Conference, but it got postponed. In fact, the day after it was postponed was when I called our former superintendent, Terry Bentley, and I said, Terry, we can't continue. There's people in my church and me personally that cannot wait until 2024. The day after the postponement of General Conference to 2024, there was a person on the Commission on General Conference who resigned and issued a public statement. And Reverend Pablo said, and these are his words, not mine, the Commission on General Conference never intended to have General Conference this year. All the delegates had received their vaccinations, but not a single international delegate was issued an invitation so that they could get their visas. And he said, when I realized that, he said, I resign from the Commission on General Conference. Number five, do I agree with the stated goals for General Conference 2024 by some groups and persons who want to redefine the definition of marriage and also to allow the ordination of self-avowed practicing homosexuals. If you go to the next page, number six. Number six was something this week that I ran across that's very interesting. Question number six. Do I agree with one UMC pastor this person is remaining anonymous. He is from the Western Pennsylvania Conference. He was recently interviewed and quoted in a newspaper called Pittsburgh City on September the 7th. And his interview was about his being, and again, this is the quote from the newspaper, his being a queer polymorous pastor who has both a wife, girlfriend, and dreams of a boyfriend who looks forward to the UMC separation so that he can be more open. Question number seven. Do I agree that any local Methodist church should allow drag queens as pastors and these pastors conducting drag queen events in the church sanctuaries during Sunday morning worship? There is one of three that I'm aware of that's probably the most notable. Uh, his name, his stage name is Penny Cost. He's been featured on the official UMC YouTube channel. I cannot quote him because to use his words, and my mama found out she would wash my mouth out with soap. Number eight. Do I believe that a bishop should be appointed over a conference and be in violation of our current UMC Book of Discipline? This occurred in the year 2016 with the voting in the Western jurisdiction and, and the selection of Karen Oliveto. She was appointed as a bishop in one of the conferences in the Western jurisdiction. It really accelerated things because 
She is, her words, a self-avowed practicing homosexual, and she married her same gendered partner. When the case was brought to the judicial council, the council ruled that this was out of order and she should not serve as a bishop. Again, that was under the 2016 Book of Discipline. Do I believe that any bishop should teach doctrines which deny the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And there are two. One bishop, previously Joseph Sprague, you can read about him in that pages three and four, and also Karen Oliveto. They have, and I have read their words, and I've quoted Joseph Sprague in your handout. They have attacked the divinity of Jesus. Number nine. Do I agree with official UMC seminaries that permit or teach things such as universalism, God is queer, or are places where Islamic clerics are trained at a UMC seminary, not to be a UMC pastor, but to be an Islamic cleric? Do I agree that UMC pastors who attend the course of study should be forced to sign a document which does not allow the use of he or him when referring to God the Father. I told him I was going to quote him. He gave me permission. David Dale serves in our district at Fairview UMC. In his uh, course of study online, he has been forced to sign a document which he dropped the class where he could not refer to God the Father using the pronouns he or him. Also in number nine, do I agree that official UMC boards and agencies should publicly issue statements such as, quote, the nation of Israel is an apartheid state from the river to the sea. These different groups and boards and agencies claim to speak for all of us in the United Methodist denomination. But I stand before you today to respectfully say, no, you do not speak for me. You do not speak for me when I was still a United Methodist pastor. And the thing that troubles me is that they will get on the television or newspaper, they will make these statements. And I realize there's people in churches throughout the United States that do not agree with the statements that have been made. How can you say that you speak on behalf of our denomination, which the only one who can officially speak is our general conference, not any border agency? Number 10, do I agree with the actions of a local church in our conference back in 2019 which showed to children a cartoon called Arthur. We, when our children were younger, they watched that cartoon, The Art of Art. You know, every day you're walking down the street. It's a really cool cartoon, except in 2019, they made a particular episode where two men were married in a same-sex ceremony. And every PBS affiliate station in the state of Alabama refused to show that episode. But that cartoon was showed to children in one of the local churches in our North Alabama annual conference. So in conclusion to these 10 questions that I and our church have already worked through and that I offer to you in your time of discernment and prayer, my conclusion is this. Depending on how I answer these questions will help determine whether the current UMC or the global Methodist or free Methodist or independent is the place where I need to be. And again, it's always good to reference. It's always good to have as much information as the human mind can comprehend. A really good place that presents actually both sides. It's a place that I go to to keep up to date and follow. It's a pastor named Chris Ritter. He's in the Illinois Great Rivers Conference. His website is called peopleneedjesus.net. And at that website, you will get more information than you care to read. And it's, it's updated pretty regularly, uh, daily, several times weekly. Sam said that uh, y'all may have some questions. And I always like to say, well, if I can't answer them now... I'll get the answer back to Sam. He probably can answer them if I can. I kid with my children. I say, you know, if I, if I can't answer the question, I'm sure Google can because Google's kind of the technology thing that's out there right now. I do have one last thing that I would like to share with you before we leave after y'all have any questions. Okay. Um, if anybody, 
If anybody didn't get a copy of, uh, of Pastor Eddie's uh, handout, we have some more. And as with um, Dee's and Tammy's handouts from last time, they're going to be on our church website and our app. Is that correct, Sheila? Yes. So you'll be able to access them then, and then uh, we will make sure that we, we have your stuff on there too. Um, who has a question? Andy, you take this side. I'll take this side. What concerns me are the pensions for the for the ministers. What's going to happen when you disaffiliate? That was part of our uh, disaffiliation feed, the unfunded pension mandate. Our price actually dropped uh, with Westpath, which every local United Methodist Church, their pension figure changed. In fact, if, if you vote after October 1st, I reached out to Terry Bentley. He said the number will also drop again. We have a financial man in our church that works at Wells Fargo. He explained it like this. As the interest rates go up and, and the Fed continues to raise those interest rates because of inflation in our culture, as the interest rates go up, the unfunded pension rate drops and goes down. Uh, I, I understand that within our conference, we are fully funded. I think the year's 2099, Sam, I don't know if, but in all fairness, and I thank you for asking that because we should be concerned that pastors who have served and, and their spouses, and, and a lot of times the, the wife will outlive the husband if, if you know, he has served as a pastor or vice versa, they need to know that they're going to continue receiving that pension. So I thank you for asking that. For us who are current, uh, our pension will follow us whether we stay UMC or whether we go global through Westpath. Westpath will continue as is right now, taking care of our pensions. And, and that's one of the things my wife has asked me. Uh, how's our pension in this? Now, our pension's personally taking a hit, as, as Sam knows, because of inflation. But one of the things I love about the United Methodist Church that even some of our uh, brothers and sisters and other denominations envy, we got a pretty good retirement deal. And it's really a blessing. But the, the way they have worked this, and they did this in 2019, the very first issue they addressed at the special call 2019 conference was over the issue of Westpath to make sure that pastors and surviving spouses are cared for with their pensions. Yes, ma'am. Okay, who else has a question? I don't know that number off the top of my head. Okay, Mary, part of the money that we're, you'll, you'll come out in the letter for announcing all this stuff. Uh, you should have already gotten it, but now the change of schedule. Um, we're gonna, if we were to separate from the, from the United Methodist Church, we would probably have to pay something like 170000 of unfunded pension liability to get out of it. Which would also include two years of apportionments and a couple of other small items with that. Well, it goes up, but we would have to pay this year's apportionments and all that anyway. Yes, so, uh, Tell us what uh, the differences you are going to be because you've already, in, you know, encountered this between the United Methodist Church and the Global Methodist, and like your day-to-day -day, like uh, um, situation. How would it, how did it change? It really didn't. That's one thing that we kind of shared with our church is basically we're having a name change and we will align with another Methodist denomination. So the, the day in and day out really hasn't. Our United Methodist women have asked, do we need to change our name? I said, that's up to y'all. I know you can continue doing your, the same missions. And, and my heart is that what we're doing now, 
we're going to just keep doing more of. So it's basically for us, it's a name change because the folks in the church, they haven't really followed this as closely because other things are going on in their lives, which is rightly so. You know, people like myself, we need to be informed so that we can share the information. But we'll basically have a new name. And the folks now just want us to simply be called Hoax Bluff First Methodist. And we'll have the Global Methodist logo because we're not able to use the cross in the flame. We, we understand that as part of our decision to leave. So we drop the, the word United and we drop the logo and nothing else really changes other than a new affiliation. The Global Methodist Church will have a general conference once every six years. The Global Methodist denomination will allow more input from the local churches in who you would receive as your pastor. Uh, it's been described the UMC is more of a bigger tent. The Global Methodist is a, a narrowing of the tent. I kind of like that description. That's kind of helped me with that. What about the ownership of the building? Church, Once that we go to December 10th to the special call uh, annual conference, uh, it's my understanding that the conference will officially vote on letting the churches and pastors leave who have followed the protocol, the period of discernment, having the called uh, church conference with the superintendent and paying whatever the cost is. So once those things are done, when we go December the 10th, they will, they're, they're still working on this. They will in turn give us our property. The property will be owned by the people there. Ultimately, God owns all the property, but the people will own the property at Hooks Bluff. The Global Methodist Church has said and also written down that Every local church will own its own property. There is no, no trust clause any longer. So, for example, if the church here decided to disaffiliate by the 67% two-thirds majority and you, you voted to leave and you paid the amount of money that the conference is asking, come December 10th, this church, the people here, would own their own property. You would be given a deed to that. You would probably touch base with an attorney to redo your articles of incorporation and would file the deed at the courthouse. Because I went and researched the deed currently that Hoax Bluff has under the United Methodist denomination. We have a trust clause that said that our property is held in trust for the denomination. That will change December 10th. No, what that disaffiliation fee that... Uh, he shared of 170, whatever that amount is, that is the cost for, for you to leave if you vote to choose to leave. Our property has been valued and appraised at over $2 million there at Hoax Bluff. So some folks have said it, it's actually, in one sense, a pretty good deal for the money. You can't build a facility for you know, $134,000. The other response has been, and, and this is just working through this. Yeah, but Brother Eddie, we've already paid for this thing once. I said, I understand that. But this is part of the process that we're following an accountability so that as God leads us, he owns the property and we'll be good stewards, but the property will be owned by the people there at Hoax Bluff. Okay, anybody, who else? I thank you for your question. Uh, we have been asked that a number of times because when you study the percentages that vote at general conference, the traditionalists have always been in the majority. The concern that's been brought to our attention, which is why that persons like myself have made the decision that we're going to leave, has to do with the leadership. I beg to differ with you, but the centrists have always been Pretty much voted 
to maintain the same statement about uh, it is contrary to scripture, uh, no self-avowed uh, practicing homosexual can serve as a minister, and no minister or church can be used for uh, homosexual marriages. Uh, and that percentage has pretty much remained the same all those 50 years, around 62% has supported that uh, position in the church for that long. Uh, I, and that's been the centuries. Uh, now the traditionists, I'm sure, were part of that decision. But it's been a, 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 this, the con general conference has been a central uh, centuries conference for years and years and years. The concern I also have at the present time is the open rebellion in the denomination. Which the general uh, Methodist or global church has also been a part of. And you know that the, uh, the uh, African church, the bishops of the African church, have decided they will not support the global Methodist church any longer. I read that article this week. They uh, mentioned their concerns about things coming from the WCA. There were 13 bishops that signed that paper. There was one uh, African Methodist bishop who did not sign that, who actually said what you just said, that uh, if or when the language changes, that he would no longer be in the United Methodist denomination. Yes, sir. I appreciate you asking that because um, I appreciate you asking that because we have always we've always included the youth and children in our church and, and that is true that diversity is a part of our culture right now. But ultimately, and this is what I realized years ago and I've been reminded becoming a grandparent, is that ultimately the final responsibility is not on your youth group. The final responsibility about your growing up is through the people other than Jesus who love you the most. It's your mom and dad. And, your grandparents who probably spoil you, love hanging out with you. The blessing that we have at Hoax Bluff is we have a new youth director who recognizes that. She's made an incredible impact on my daughter's life. My, my daughter, who's in the 11th grade, has worked through some really interesting issues in her life. And this very godly uh, youth minister that we have recently hired has made an incredible difference in her life. And that diversity is only going to continue. Ultimately, I realize that children will reflect the values of their parents, either in a positive or a negative way. And at some point, as I discover now having a 15-year-old that's getting ready to get their driver's permit, at times they can have a mind of their own. But the beautiful thing that I love about it is, is being able to love them regardless of the choices that they make which is what my dad did with me. When I finally told my dad one day, I don't think I want to play baseball anymore, he told me something that I have never forgotten that I spoke into my children's life. He said, son, I love you, whether you play baseball or not, and that'll never change. And I thought, good, I don't have to play. He didn't care whether I do or not. And that's what I love about parents. We as children, and my mom is still living. You met her at the funeral home, Sam. You know, we as children may choose things that our parents may not agree with or align with, but ultimately, even when they punish us, they do it because they love us. So, good question. Thank you. Would you confirm a bisexual child in the Methodist church that you pastor? Would I confirm a bisexual church, uh, a bisexual child in the church that I pastor? Honestly, I have not had to face that issue yet. Correct. Correct. 
as, as my responsibility as a pastor, I thank you for your question. I would hope that I would have a good relationship with the person that came to me with that question. I would do a lot of listening about their particular journey. I would listen to the choices that they have made. I would want to know about how they came to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. I would ask them about their particular sexuality that they were born with. I would want to know about their choices that they are making. I would not in any way disregard their personal relationship with Jesus, but it would require some prayer on my part. Again, not having ever faced this particular issue. It would be something that I would reach out and talk to other pastors about because the collective wisdom of experience of other pastors is very important to me. So I would spend some time in prayer before making that decision. I have not had to face that yet. So I'm hearing you say no, not at this time. For me personally, where I am now, yeah, you're correct, I would say no. Thank you. Okay, anybody, another question? That is something that I have not read okay. or So in that case, they would choose to be celibate. Is that your understanding of that? Well, that would also be the case in the Methodist Church. According to our rules now, that would be the case in the Methodist Church. Except for about non-practicing. Yes. Thank you. Okay, we've got time for a couple more questions. Anybody else? So in uh, your church, your current church, in the direction that y'all are headed, um, just baptism of children, of homosexual couples, whether they're married or unmarried, and membership in the church in general for homosexuals. How is that treated? Since I have been at Hoax Bluff, we have not had a homosexual couple that has come to the church asking if they could be members. If that were the case next Sunday a homosexual couple walked in and asked could they officially join the church I would sit down and have a conversation with them I would ask them about their personal relationship with Jesus Christ I would share with them the vows that a person takes when they want to become a member of a United Methodist Church which it's very clear from our book of discipline that the pastor has the final say on who can and cannot join the church. And I would say to the couple, no, I would not allow you as a couple to become a member here. I did have the experience many, many years ago of a heterosexual couple who were living together, a man and a woman. They came to me and asked, the woman was already a member, the man she was living with was not, but they were dating and living together. A member of her family brought this to my attention before the conversation, this heterosexual couple. The man said, can I join the church? I said, I want to ask you a question. Are you and her living together? He said, yes. My response was, you are more than welcome to come and attend here, but you need to understand that when you become a member of this church, there is the part about repentance. I said, you cannot join. He made the decision, and she followed to no longer attend the church. But as far as a homosexual couple, we have not had one to come since I've served as pastor. Yes. Going forward, if that couple asked, I would hear them out. I would listen. I would ask them about Jesus. But ultimately, I would tell them no. And baptism, yes. 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 
Correct. Okay, even if your voice is loud, wait till we get to the microphone. <laughs> so that the people who are, will be watching this online can, can have the benefit of hearing it. So, all right. Anybody else have a question? I would say to anyone in any community, what Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's no entity or group or community that could ever take over the Lord's church. He is Lord. He is sovereign over his church. So that's not anything that I fear or concerned about. Even some of the questions that we're having in our nation right now about government overreach and religious liberty which I, th I think is very interesting to follow the whole dynamics of that. There's a lot of people living in fear that some group or community is going to come in and, and try to take over the church. When you look at a place in the 1040 window in Iran and Iraq and China, the world's fastest growing church is in Iran. And they cannot explain this because the, the government in Iran intentionally persecutes the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and through that outright persecution that church is multiplying leaps and bounds so I do not fear any group or any community I would want them to know the love of Jesus who changed and saved me because God is no respecter of persons thank you okay one more question anybody got a question Okay, thank you again for, for, for coming to, to, both, to hear both of the, our speakers for today. Thank you, Eddie, for coming to do this. There's a lot uh, more fun things to do on a Sunday afternoon than come. There is one final thing I would like to do before y'all leave. It's on page seven of your handout. I'd like to invite you to please stand and join with me in the confession of faith. And if Sam doesn't mind, I'd like to lead us in the closing prayer, which is the Lord's Prayer, if you'd please stand. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've given to us this day, a beautiful day, Lord, on this Lord's day that you've made for us. And Father, thank you for your word and your promise that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him or her ask of you and you will give to all liberally and asking in faith. And we do pray, Father, for the body of Christ in this period of discernment here at Gadsden First United Methodist Church. We pray your grace and your leading Holy Spirit that wherever choices are made here or in any group of believers throughout our denomination, that you will be loved and honored and glorified for your name, Lord Jesus, and at your name, every knee shall bow, 
and every tongue confess that you, Jesus Christ, are Lord. Through your power and presence, Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, for your glory, through you, Lord Jesus, Lord, we pray. Amen.